Chapter 8 They ate a simple supper. When they had done, Haga held out her hand. Let's take a look at your peddler's map. Gom spread Carrick's parchment on the table, and they bent their heads together under the lamplight. Haga laid her finger on a river that flowed south from the Dunderfoss. This is where you'll come out. Don't worry, the forest will steer you, just as it steered you the short distance to me. It's about six days to the southern border. From there, follow the river to the hills, then go southeast until you come to these. She tapped a ring of barrier hills north of Sundor, but on no account cross them. From those hills, Haga went on, they would go directly east and fast across the wilds, a perilous tract, his mother said, that no sane man ever crossed alone. She drew her finger across the centre of the map, coming at last to the nub end of the mountain range that formed the western side of Long Valley. You'll go around the Sidliths, passing under the walls of Hornholm and Medgan and Dune. She tapped the names dotted about the foothills. Past them, you'll come out onto a main trading road and reach Penlangoth well within your twenty-six days. Gom eyed the route that Haga had just drawn. Seems clear, mother. Haga folded up the map, handed it back. Aye, as most plans do. But they have a habit of taking their own shape, so be prepared for anything. Keep out of Sundor, race across the wilds, and watch for Yulkinta at all times, even though they're west of where you're going. She took Gom up to the darkened chamber above, where once more she looked into the globe, but still no luck. To Gom's disgust, she made him repeat all that he had to do when he got to Penlangoth. Go to the Jolly Fisherman, he counted off on his fingers. Wait to hear from Tulasin and... I've been thinking, Gom, Haga said. You can't afford to wait too long, or you'll likely miss out altogether. If he doesn't show up seven days into unity, then put out your first pass phrase. Gom bristled. After saying he had enough common sense to make his own choices, Haga was now making them for him. Falgan's your next choice, she reminded him. Gom looked away. Now. Haga said briskly. Make a wish. A wish? Gom stared in surprise. A wish? His only wish was one Haga couldn't possibly fulfill. That she dismiss last night's events as a false vision and go on as before. A wish? Gom sat down in his armchair rested his chin in his hands. He wished to become a wizard, 
which only he could bring about, so Haga said. To live until Haga came back. The immortality sign had taken care of this. To restore the Sito's true form some day. Haga had already said there was no guarantee of that. So what else? He hunched forward in his chair, lost in thought. Finally, he sat up. I wish, he said, that I might have my teacher this year. I cannot grant a wish like that in such a rush, she said. Nor would it be wise even if I could. Wish again for something more modest, and that you yourself can help along. I wish for a spell to help me find my teacher. Hager nodded. That I can grant. She drew him to a bench by the wall, under clustered windows through which high perilion shone. On the bench, a smooth black stone about the shape and size of an oatcake gleamed in the starlight. Hager took Gon's left hand, placed it over the stone. Then, taking up a dark silken shawl, she shook it out, threw it over his head, and let it float down around him, enclosing him with the stone. Through the flimsy stuff of the shawl, Gom saw Haga's slight shape haloed against the violet beams. He watched her turn to the windowed stars, and raise her arms, and he heard her chanting. Demerian, Valerian, and Quiorthar, three orphan, Mastrogan, Valeria. The stone flared under his hand, so bright that he saw his very finger bones outlined against its glare, and something swirled about that tiny space. Not a wind. Not anything he could put name to, but it scattered goosebumps up his arms. He closed his eyes, took a deep breath, stayed silent. His mother's quiet voice startled him. Open your eyes, Gom. He did so. The shawl still covered his head. His hand was still on the stone. How long had he been standing there? He tried to move, in vain. Only after Haga pulled away the shawl could he stir, and with great effort raise his numbed hand off the stone to chafe it back to life. Haga shook the shawl, folded it, and set it aside. The magic? that I have laid about you should pull a mentor to you, but also heed this warning. It may not be the one you expect. Neither, she reminded him again, does the gaining guarantee your success. That must be of your own making. Gom nodded. I understand, mother. 
Is the spell done? Done. Now, take off your belt. Gom unbuckled his belt, laid it on the table, then turned to find his mother holding out something neatly coiled in her hand. He took it, unrolled it, letting it dangle. It was a brand new brown leather belt, with a beautifully stitched pouch, embossed with sun and moon and stars. But his eye went straight to the shining silver buckle. He held the buckle to the lamp the better to see. It was square, with two wide outer posts, a thinner one in the middle, like any other buckle, except that the right-hand post was shaped like a bear, and the left, a sparrow poised for flight. A wonderful belt. For him, try it on, try it on," Haga said. With shaking hands, Gom slipped the new belt around his middle, threaded it through the buckle, pulled it to fit. It was light and soft, without the usual stiffness of new leather. Hmm," Haga said, her head to one side. "Looks well. You like it." I love it. Is is it mine? In exchange for this, Haga took up his discarded belt. Agreed. Gom stared at the scuffed, worn, stained old thing in perplexity. Why, yes, he said. To his surprise, Haga fastened it around her middle with great care, then settled her blouse in place. At least I'll have something of you with me. Now, she went on. Open your pouch. Gom raised the pouch's flap, thrust his fingers inside, and drew out a small crystal on a stout silver chain. Tis your new talisman to make up for the rune. He held the crystal to the light. In its rainbow depths, something flickered. Tiny yellow spangle catching Perilion's beams. He turned, his eyes wide. My flake of gold, magically encased within the crystal shard. How he cried. When did you do that? She only smiled. After Elenzas, that was when he thought. Before she came out to the orchard, is there, is there any enchantment in it? Oh yes. Haga gestured to her globe. Remember how we went to see Jastra? Well, that stone is imbued with the same magic power. I've worn it long, but I do not need it now. If any time the stone should flash, close your hand about it, and you'll stand once more by the crystal stair, Alamar. If you should be asleep or otherwise engaged, the gold flake will call you with a waking dream.
Then, who knows, you and I may meet and talk a while. Gong slipped the crystal over his head and let it dangle against his shirt. Felt comfortable. He closed his hand about it. I have one more gift for you, but that will wait until tomorrow. Let's go to Stormfleet. He needs our company this night. As they carried their bedding outside, Stormfleet emerged silently from the orchard. Gom ran to him and barely refrained from crying out. The coat was no longer sleek and shiny. The hair felt coarse and wiry and uneven under his hand, but he said nothing. Haga spread her palette and turned to Stormfleet. We're with you if you need us. As for me, tomorrow's going to be a long day, so I'll say good night. She lay down and pulled her blanket over her. Fine company she is, Gom thought. He took up his bedding, slung it over his shoulder, followed Stormfleet over to the orchard. There he spread his pad, sat down against an apple tree, resolved to sit the night out to its bitter end. Go to sleep, said Stormfleet. Didn't you hear your dam? Gom hugged his knees. I'm keeping watch. Then I'll wish you joy in it, Stormfleet snorted. I myself shall take a nap. I am unaccountably tired. Not unaccountably, thought Gom. He remembered how strange Harga's wishing spell had made him feel. The enchantment was working. Wind wafted through the trees, gently lifting Stormfleet's mane, mingling cold draught with air still warm from the sun. Gom stayed upright, determined to watch all night despite Stormfleet's ingratitude. His hand went as of old to his chest, encountered the unfamiliar edges of the crystal. He drew it out, held it to the starlight, admiring its gleam. See what Harga gave me, he said. But Stormfleet was fast asleep. Harga also. Gom let the crystal fall, hurt at being so deserted. Then finally Harga's intent broke upon him. No need to make a martyr of himself. Just being here was enough. Gom slid down, turned on his side, and pulled his blanket over him. It was barely light when Gom felt himself being shaken awake. He sat up, dazed, to find Haga bent over him. Hush, Gom! It is done. Keep you calm and quiet, do you hear? Here is your friend. She moved aside. Gom stared. Oh, oh, oh! 
An old grey nag stood before him, watching him with hollowed roomy eyes. The noble brow was gone, and the shining silver ring mark. Gom looked down. The creature's knees looked swollen and turned in. The sagging back with bony ribs that Gom could count was hung with dull grey hair, almost threadbare in patches. Well, do you have to stare? Stormfleet snapped. Have you never seen a horse before? Gom said not a word. You'll get used to it, the Sito said, softening. I admit it's harder for you than me, for I can't see myself. How do you feel? Gom said. Fairly fine, I'll show you. Stormfleet led the way onto the beach. Gom followed sadly. The colt stood a full hand shorter, and his back sagged in the middle. Wait here. Stormfleet trotted to the end of the open stretch, then, turning about, broke into a gallop the length of the shore. Gom could hardly bear to watch. Stormfleet was not exactly a cripple, but his speed was gone, and his fiery grace. He turned on Harger. He's not the same. Who said he would be? Hager answered. But the price is not as high as it might have been. See, she said, as Stormfleet pulled up and trotted back to join them in some semblance of his old easy gait. The Sito wicked. Remember, mistress, what you said yesterday about the finch and the sparrow? Now we are three. The Sito led them back into the garden, walking like his old self until suddenly he pulled up short. Oops, he said. He drooped his head, turned in his feet until his knees knocked together, then with painful exaggeration limped off to graze. Gom, unsmiling, followed Harger to breakfast. While she toasted cakes, he went to his room, changed back, into his own cleaned and mended clothes. Then he sat on his bed, as yet unslept in, gazed wryly around the pale blue sunlit chamber. Seven years, seven years, before he'd finally sleep under the gaze of that wooden owl. He took up his staff and returned to the kitchen. After breakfast, Harger made him a small pack for the journey. Gom watched her fill his water bottle, Dig's green glass bottle that she must have recognised. You can have that, mother, he cried impulsively, then realised how much he would miss it. She handed it over with a smile and a shake of her head. Nay, I think you'd feel it's lost too much. Gom took it. Relieved. And yet he couldn't get the thought of her face out of his mind when she'd spoken of Stig. On a sudden idea, he took out his box of seeds. Keep this, then, for father and me. Harga took it, her eyes brimming with tears. 
Oh, gone! She busied herself anew, fitting his pack with traveller's biscuits, apples, and fruit cake, then tied the pack to a bedroll. Gom walked downstairs a last time, and with Stormfleet followed Harger through the holly screen and onto the shore. The raft journey was quiet. Gom sat with his back to the island, not caring to see it recede. At the other side, Harger tied up the raft and jumped ashore. Your other gift, Gom. Guard it well. She produced a plain silver ring, placed it on the fourth finger of his right hand. Your key to the Dunderfoss and to this island. If you would come home, Come to the edge of the forest. Turn the ring three times following the path of the sun, and the ways will open to you, bringing you to this place. But when you reach this spot, this is what you'll see. Haga turned to the lake and waved her arm once. Lake and island vanished replaced by a valley floor. Astonished, Gom bent, felt about. The ground felt firm enough. He walked out a little way, where water should be, felt grass underfoot. How? he began. Haga laid a finger across her lips. Turn the ring thrice sunwise, and the lake will reappear. Try it now, but come back here to me first. Gom returned to Haga's side and twirled his ring three times from east to west. Immediately lake and cliff reappeared. Gom gazed about in awe. If only we could have done this with Stormfleet. You think I would not if there had been time? Gom hung his head. Haga had told him how difficult the process was. Come home, Gom, when you need, for as long as you need. Only mind when you leave to lock up by turning your ring counter-sunwise. And when I leave the forest also? Haga shot him a smile. No need. Just say where you would come out, and the ways will steer you. Then close behind you. Snap shut, I should say, when you step from these borders. Now she was solemn again. I can't say when we'll meet again, my dear. Only know that this is your home, workshop, and all in it. Study my books, my chronicles with care, but be sure before you would use any magic that you know how to work it well first. And keep things orderly against my return. Come, I wish there had been time. Mayhap, one day... Her voice trailed off. Then she rallied. Until then, my blessing and great 
good wishes go with you and with you, noble friend, and may you both get your heart's desire. She put her arms around Garm and hugged him hard. At last they broke apart and Haga stepped onto the raft. Again, the forest will put you where you need to go. Only beware of the Yulkinta, she said. She picked up the paddle and turned. Goodbye, Garm. Remember, you're of the sparrow and the bear. Choked, Gom could only watch Haga push off from the shore, move smoothly out onto the water. Wind caught his mother's skirts, billowed them out like a sail, teased a wisp of hair from the coil at her nape. He watched the tiny figure paddling under the lee of the cliff, and still stood as, reaching the corner, she gave one last wave and disappeared. Mm.